0: Yeah, I, I'm sorry, guys. I can't sing, or I'd, I'd go another run with you, but uh, we'll just stick to preaching. Genesis chapter 42. Now, when Jacob saw, verse 1, that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother Jacob, sent not with his brethren. For he said, Perhaps something bad will happen to him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came for the famine that was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land. And he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came down and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren. He knew them but made himself strange unto them and kind of talked roughly to them. And he said, why are you here? They said, we've come from the land of Canaan to buy food. Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed of them. God bless you tonight. I ask you for your attention for a little while tonight. Let me work my way through this chapter. I want to preach to you on dreams and the dreamers who dream them. God bless you tonight. You may be seated. It's interesting to me tonight... Because these dreams are a funny thing. And there really isn't a point in this story. I think when I preached all this material in Calgary, I think the title of the sermons that I preached was Give Me a Lifetime. The reason that I called it Give Me a Lifetime is because God doesn't want a weekend from you. And I began to study this character, this amazing story of Joseph. And there's no single chapter where it makes sense. If you start in the beginning of his life, it's baffling. If you move into his interactions with his family, his familial tensions, It's perplexing, and if you were to dissect Joseph's life one chapter at a time, it's baffling, and it makes very little, if any, sense. That's because when you give yourself to God, it isn't gonna make sense in a month or in a year. You have to give him a lifetime. And it'll never make sense what you go through the struggles, the ups and downs, the hurts, the pains, the ins and outs, it'll never make sense unless you can look at the whole lifetime. And when you see God's providence and God's sovereignty in your whole life, it begins to make sense. And Joseph's life is interesting because it goes as if It's he's struggling and it doesn't make any sense until just boom, there he is. And he's lifted up and he's elevated and he's turned into the viceroy, or what we would call the vice president of all of Egypt. He's powerful. Authority is something that he wears rather easily in this chapter. And if you look back all those many, many years ago when he was accused and all those many, many years ago you find that Joseph's dreams where he dreamed a dream that one day the sheaves were gonna bow to him and the moon and the star which was his mother and father they were gonna come and bow down to him. The Bible lets us know he was 18 years old when that was done or when they sold him into bondage. The Bible lets us know that it was several, several decades. The Bible tracks through and lets you know how old that he was because here in just a little bit, it lays it out that he was going to be near 40. So 18 years and in Genesis 42 the best that I can guess and I can, or 42 I add up he's about somewhere between 38 39 years old. You take 18 years and he's sold into bondage 12 years later he's 30 and the famine starts, the famine goes, or the, the, the fat years start, and that goes for about seven years, and then the famine starts. So we know that he's 30 years old when the, famine, when the fat years start. And we know that he's 37 when the seven years that were gonna be the famine kick in. So maybe it was a year, maybe it was two years before they finally ran out of something and his father said, let's go down and buy corn. Now, we know by the gifts that he brought that they didn't, it wasn't that they they didn't have anything, it's just they didn't have corn. And so they hadn't completely ran out of all of their victuals and all of their um, provisions, but the Father sends them down. It's interesting to me that all these years, the dream has not rotted I don't know if you've ever read Langston's poem, Langston Hughes, who writes a poem called Dreams Deferred, in which he explains what happens to dreams in the meantime while one waits for a dream to ripen. Langston Hughes writes, Dream Deferred. What happens to a dream that is deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore? And then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load or does it explode? Dreams that are deferred. You're talking about a young man that probably was somewhere between 12 and maybe 16 when he began to dream. And really that's all he ever did with dreams. He's called Joseph the dreamer but the text lays out in the story of Joseph's life that he interpreted more dreams than he ever had of his own. He's called the dreamer but he really only had one in one brief period of his life. Dreams are an interesting thing and this section that we're talking about tonight is really the heart and the substance of the pivotal moment of Joseph's life. It is here after years of silence, after a dream that might have seemed like it would never come to pass in Joseph's life. Perhaps Joseph has wondered in his own mind, will it ever come to pass? And will it ever be? And through the years, Joseph waits and waits and waits oh god i'd rather god ask me to do anything than wait i can run i can fight i can save i can build i can i can do almost anything better than i can do wait but how many times has god asked you to wait and the impatience sets in the fear sets in and so here you find that after all those years, 20 22 years later, somewhere right in there, Joseph standing there, the vice president of Egypt. He he has Egyptian clothes on. He has an Egyptian facial covering. Probably a braided beard with the gold around it as was a regal figure of the Egyptian, probably a headdress and garment, possibly even a wig that the Egyptians would have worn. He would have looked like them. He would have talked like them. He would have moved comfortably in their palaces, courts, and estates. Dreams, and the dreamers who dreamed them. The story is so interesting to me because it plays out tension. It plays out struggle. It plays out the painful years of having a burden, a vision, a call, a hope, a dream. But by the time the dream comes to pass, you never dreamed it would come to pass that way. How did you get here? who brought you here, and if I would have asked you 10 years ago that we would be together tonight, some of us didn't even know each other, but God, who is rich in mercy, with his great love wherewith he loved us, has woven through the tapestry of time the intersection that you need to have. You see the sovereignty of God in this passage. You see the way that God does something. You wonder about the problems that you have in life. Why am I not doing something to solve it? Why am I not taking life by the horns? Anybody here ever read Dr. Seuss's Oh, the Places You'll Go? Oh, man, until he gets to that waiting for a train to come, a plane to go, and you're just like, Oh, that's my life right there. I hate that place. I can take all the rest of See, brother, how far I've fallen on Sunday night. I'm tapped completely out, apparently. I've, I've fallen to Dr. Seuss. <laughs> how the mighty are fallen. <laughs> and the library cast away as though he had no books. But, oh, God, the waiting place. God, do whatever you want with me, but it's this waiting that I struggle with who I am. It's this waiting that torments me, that I'm going nowhere, doing nothing, accomplishing very little, but oh, to wait on God. Teach me, Lord, to wait. Why? Because they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And the song adds, teach me, Lord. Teach me, Lord, to wait. Dreams and the dreamers who dream them. This dream has been the central anchor of this whole last, what, 12, 13 chapters of the book of Genesis? Genesis? It takes up more space than Abraham, more space than Isaac, more space than creation itself. You know why? Because you don't live in creation. But, oh, we live in families, don't we? We live in the tensions of life, the polarities of interfamilial relationships. We don't live in the second day, third, fourth, fifth day of creation, but we live here, don't we, where brothers can't get along, where fathers feel like they've lost all hope that their child will be returned. They've, they've seen moments come and go, sunsets and sunrises, and now they believe in their mind that what they know is the proof of what it is go down there and buy corn. Now, the text tells us there's something familiar here in this realm of of stories and, and what's so intriguing about this to me is Genesis chapter 42 is another revelation that can only be had in disguises. This is important. You know, when you look at Four of the great stories of the book of Genesis, four of them include disguises. And this is the final and the fourth one. And here again, we encounter what Robert Alter said, defines as a type scene, a drama enacted several times with variations. And these are particularly in evidence here in this book. By the time we recognize and stumble into this moment in Genesis chapter 42, that Joseph was the governor in verse six of the land and he sold to all the people in the land and Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces into the earth. That's the dream, right? Remember? But by the time I stumble in the text to recognize the dream, ah, that's it. That's the dream. That's what we've been looking for. I don't recognize the dreamer anymore now. Gone is the coat of many colors. Gone is the favoritism of the Father. Gone is the youth and the innocence and the vibrancy and the starch of this young man who had the world by the tail. And you recognize that by the time the dream comes to pass, the dreamer is so different. You'll look at your life and say, oh, that I could do this or I could do that if I could only have this, if I could only preach there, if I could only have my ministry to develop to that. And then you get there but you don't recognize yourself because life and process has changed you so very much. Dreams and the dreamers who dream them. God has a way of changing you even though the dream stays the same. The dream stays the same, but all of the circumstances, all of the personality, all of the things that we said would happen it's not there, but the dream comes to pass because God is faithful. But the moral of this story is that most of the time when you get what God told you you were gonna get, you won't recognize you because God changes the people that he's gonna bless. You'll notice here that in this section, this of Scripture is the heart of Joseph, and so the father says to them in, in, in 42 and one, why do you look one upon another? And and in the Hebrew, that, that literally translates to why do you show yourselves or pretend to yourselves as though you have plenty? He's saying, what's the skit for? Why are we acting like we don't need something tonight? Let us rise, and and I I preach another message called How to Save Your Family in a Famine. Sometimes you gotta be willing to move in order to save your kids. Sometimes you gotta be willing to travel a bit. Sometimes you gotta be willing to, to dislocate yourself from your comfort zones so that your kids have a safe place to be. Why, he said, do you pretend as if you, you don't have anything wrong with you? You've got to stop pretending, he says. Now, when, when you look at this and, and you get into the way that people pretend that there's nothing wrong and they, they don't have any issues and they don't have any problems, look at Psalm chapter 51, verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sins are ever before me against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in the sight of the Lord. He's wanting God to heal him. He's wanting God to help him. He's, he's wanting God to touch him. Second Corinthians, you realize in, in the chapter five and, and verse number 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new. Once you get the dream, you'll be different. And as long as I'm not different, the dream won't come to pass. As long as I'm in a state of bitterness or angst or anger or disappointment, the dream doesn't come to me. But it's when I learn to seize the moment for the glory of reconciliation that God says, let your brothers come and bow now. 2 Corinthians 5, 18, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled unto us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now we are ambassadors for Christ. Here you see that Joseph doesn't rush in too quick. He's now not somebody that's just trying to dangle in front of their face and say, see here, I'm boss, I got it. The dream come to pass. No, he's dignified now. He's stately. He bears the ministry of reconciliation. He sees these brethren come in. There's a slowness about him because it isn't about him anymore those that have lied against you and those that have spoken ill of you, those who have rebelled, those who have fought against you. The reality is, is that now that God has given you what you have, they wonder in their mind, if I go there, will they say, I told you so? The reality is no, because by the time the dream comes to pass, the dreamers are completely different. By the time the dream comes to pass, the dreamers wear the ministry of reconciliation. And so he looks at these men and their sins. He looks at them in their problems. And, and when you realize this, before being saved from the famine, he wants them to see the exceeding sinfulness of their own mistakes. But not in a way that messes with them. Not in a way that taunts them. Not in a way that spiritually abuses them. But he holds out because dreams, deferred, make new dreamers. And by the time the enemy appears, he doesn't want them hurt anymore. He doesn't want the I told you so moment anymore. He wants reconciliation. If you read in Romans chapter 3, verse 9 through verse 20, it is a list of all the things that are sinful in the human nature, including mine, yours, and everyone alive on earth. And the reality of this is Joseph, he was only recognized when he was disguised. When they knew him, they didn't recognize him. When they knew him with his coat of many colors, they didn't recognize that he had a leadership quality. When he was one of the boys around the house, they couldn't recognize him. He had to disguise himself. They didn't respect him until he clothed himself, or rather God clothed him with a different place and a different state. There are four scenes in Genesis that's intriguing to me. And these scenes are applied with amazing accuracy into our lives. In chapter 42, verse six through eight, he is united with his brethren. He's like Jesus Christ here. He knows his brethren, but they don't know him. See, even Jesus couldn't get honor in his own house. They said, is this not the carpenter's son? but disguised in human disfiguration. We recognize him as the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. When you really decide that instead of just trying to show someone that they were wrong and you are right, you realize that God has set up your whole life so that you can be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That you could be the one that leads people to restoration and reconciliation. But how do you do that? By not making it about us. Not make, you know, God's gonna bless you and God's gonna, I believe God's gonna fill this church up. But the beauty of it is it's not gonna make us proud. It's not gonna make us cocky. It's not gonna make us arrogant. It's gonna humble us. I promise you, I I promise you before God your dreams will come to pass and you will recognize the dream but by the time you recognize the dream you won't recognize the dreamer because God's gonna change us in the process. He's gonna iron out my problems, my inconsistencies. He's gonna iron out my sinfulness and and he's gonna make it to where the process knocks the starch out of me, humbles me. God has a beautiful way of humbling you without humiliating you. He has a dignified way of saying, I'm gonna take you through a process and when I take you through that process, you're gonna be broken, but you're gonna be broken for me. Note that in the midst of this, he spoke harshly to them. He was very blunt with them, but yet he manifested grace, compassion. He commanded them, the Bible says, in verse 25, Joseph commanded them to fill their sacks with corn, to restore every man's money into his sack. So there's a whole thing that's unfolding here. He's in control now. He's ordering them around. The brethren are strangers to the truth and they will only know it when the brother decides to reveal himself. You can't know Jesus until he reveals himself to you. No man comes to the father except the spirit draws him. Joseph, in all of his glory, in all of his grandeur, in all of the amazingness of his own heart and of his own position, you have to ask the question, why does the brothers not recognize him? Well, there's three reasons he's not recognized. Number one, the last time they saw him, he was 17 years old. And a lot changes in 22 years. The second reason... Was he his Egypt's highest officer beside Pharaoh himself? Who would have ever dreamed when God says, I'll put up who I want to put up, that he would put someone up that high? And yet they stand there and look at this stranger. They look at this person and they wonder, who is this man? The other reason they didn't recognize him because they were positive that he had died long ago. But here the Bible tells us that they bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. He literally watches them get down and when they get down, he remembers the dream that he dreamed. But there's no malice in him now. There's no bitterness in him now. I'm gonna tell you something. You know, sometimes the only thing that you can do to get past bitterness is let God bless you. Is to wait until God has his way with you. Sometimes the only thing you can do to get past those bitter spots in life is to wait on God's plan to come to fruition and come to perfection in your life. And when he does, you recognize, ah, I remember this. We were back in the little old church, and I was tucked up under a pew, and I was in a storefront in California, and the Lord started talking to me. And now that God's dream has come to pass... I recognize the dream. I recognize the vision. I recognize the prophecy. I just don't recognize the dreamer anymore because God has a way of changing me. Thank God. God has a way of altering me. God has a way of of perfecting those who trust him and follow him. Now the Bible says in verse number 13 of chapter 42, they said, thy servants... Are 12 brothers the sons of one man in the land of Canaan? And behold, the youngest is this day with our Father, and one is not. Can I just talk to you from my heart tonight? That when they believe that you don't count, they have discounted the glory of the God who gave you the dream. I, I, I know I'm just talking to you on a Sunday night, but I, I feel the Holy Ghost so strong in my spirit right now. And you can be mocked and made fun of and cast in a pit. And, oh, they're not going anywhere. They're not going to ever amount to anything but God who is rich in mercy. He has a way of saying the one you don't think exists is the one that I've got sitting here by me. Can you imagine what it was when Joseph heard those words that he was not? He probably thought in his head, what is not? I've never been more than what I am right now, he thought. God has preserved me. God has kept me. God has healed me. And they said, we have one that is not. Joseph begins to talk to them. Of course, they stated facts. Of course, they did not tell the truth. And what they said was true. He isn't. He is not. But the truth was, they should have said, one is at home with our father. And the other, we got rid of him. I'm going to tell you tonight in the Holy Ghost, when carnal people get rid of you, I know a God that knows how to pick people up. And when carnal people and manipulators dismiss people, oh, brother, I've seen God walk down and say, here, you sit by me. You're gonna, I'm gonna bless you. I've seen them make fun of churches. I've seen them mock preachers. And when they said, "Oh, we got rid of him; he is nothing," I've seen God pick him up and say, "You know what? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you the dream that I always wanted you to have." But by the time it comes to pass, you're not going to be arrogant, proud, cocky. You're going to be a reconciler. Now, here's what's interesting to me about this: is there are four stories, four disguises and four failures to see behind the mask in the book of Genesis. It is only by not being recognized that they actually get recognized. Can I preach to you tonight in the Holy Ghost? You don't have to get people to recognize you. If God looks down on you and heaven says, I'm gonna bless you, it doesn't matter if all the forces in the world say you don't count. Recognition doesn't come from people, it comes from God Almighty. He said, The Lord said that you talk to me in a prayer room in private, and I'm gonna reward you openly. I'm gonna, you tell me in secret, and I'm gonna tell it on the housetop what a blessing you are to the kingdom of heaven. I've come to encourage the Pentecostals of Dothan uh, that when the dream comes to pass, uh, you'll be different than what you were when you wanted it. Uh, But God will give it to you. God's going to bless this place. This building isn't going to be big enough for you. uh, But as God grows you, uh, he will make you into the people he wants you to be. I said, oh, well, we're gonna go down there and let Pastor Harrelson work on us and teach us and talk about all, yeah, it's the process, that's why. Because God's gonna fulfill his dream. You don't have to quit, you, you don't have to run around begging God to keep his word. He's gonna keep his word. And if he doesn't, you, you'll be the first one to know it because the world will implode. Right? Heaven and earth, he said, will pass away before one jot or one tittle of my word. When I said I was gonna bless you, I'm gonna bless you. Now, what we got to do is just surrender to the process and say, God, while you're getting me ready for the dream to come to pass, can you work on the dreamer a little bit? Can you make me the man I should be so that when you bless me, it don't go to my head uh, and I get arrogant and I don't, oh, Lord, help me. I've seen God pick people up and bless them, uh, and the minute they get something in their life, you can't hardly talk to them. They're so proud about it. But that's not what's going to happen in Dothan. You know why? Because you're rooting it out in prayer and fasting. Because it's the process that we love. We love the relationship with the master. And so there's you look at this, and it's weird in Genesis. It seems like Genesis is such a wild and carnal place that the only way you could get recognition is to disguise yourself. I really think that's true. Like, let me explain it to you. You look, at, you, you look at Abraham's boys, and, and, and you, you look at how that all worked out, and, and when you see this, you, you look at Jacob and Leah. The only way that, that Jacob could get his blessing was to disguise himself. The only way he could get recognized was to wear a mask, a disguise. Look at at Leah, the only way she could get a son and get her husband was she had to pretend to be something else. And oh yeah, Judah, I preach a message about him, it's called, when the best there is is the worst it gets. The other three boys, the first three were disasters. The fourth guy comes along and and they say, well, this is the best we got. Tamar loses her her husband and she's trying to get what is rightfully hers by the Leviterate law and she can't get it. She has to go out and hide herself in order to get what was hers. And then this fourth time, the only way he could get his brethren to recognize that he had an anointing on his life was they had not see and recognize who he was. My goodness. Oh, we got 12 brothers. There's 12 of us here. The one young one's at home and the other, well, we got rid of him. And so what happens here in verse number 15 is Joseph, hereby ye shall be proved by the life of Pharaoh ye shall not go forth hence except your youngest brother come hither. Send one of you and let him fetch your brethren and ye shall be kept in prison that your words may be proved whether there be any truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh you shall surely die. And he put them all together in the ward three days. Third day, Joseph comes in and he says, now we know that he spoke through a translator because the Bible tells us that in chapter 42. He comes in and he says, if you do this, you'll live. For I fear Elohim. That should have went off like a gunshot. What does this, he he didn't say, I fear the gods. He used the Hebrew word for God. But they couldn't recognize him because he was disguised. They heard the echoes of heaven in the voice of a strange figure. How do you get where you're at and know God? But they don't recognize this. They completely fail to recognize that he says, I am he. Now, what happens here, and this is what one uh, Maimonides says in the Mishnah Torah and the laws of repentance. He said, What constitutes complete repentance? He who is confronted by the identical situation in which he transgressed, and it is within his power to commit the transgression again, but nevertheless he abstains. Out of repentance, not out of fear of being caught. So Joseph orchestrates this elaborate scheme to see if they still give up brothers because they did that one time. And so Joseph said, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna leave one and you're gonna go back. He was seeing. Do you still think your brother is dispensable? Do you still get rid of your brother or have you grown any? Because he was saying, I've changed, but have you changed? See, by the time they meet you on the other side of the fulfillment of your dream, you won't be a petulant little lightweight. You'll be a reconciler, you'll be a teacher, you'll be a leader. See, God doesn't want you to just get the promise so you can dangle in front of somebody's face and say, "Na nah, 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 look what I got. Told you so. No, no. He called you out to bless you so that you could lead others in, so that you could be a demonstration of grace, so that you could be somebody that God could look down on and say, this person is gonna be used in the work of reconciliation. And so Joseph looks at this situation and he says, I'll tell you what, let's do. I'm gonna send you back to your father. He retreats. He steps back. I love this part, okay? Let's look at this. Bring your youngest brother unto me so your words will be verified. And they did so. He leaves them alone in verse 21. And they said one to another, we are very guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he cried out for us. And we would not hear. That's why this distress came upon us. Reuben answered them, saying, spake I unto you, saying, do not sin against the child. But you guys wouldn't listen. Therefore, that's why all this has happened to us. And they knew not. Everybody look at verse 23 with me. And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. He turned. He wept. He returned again to them and communed with them. Your waiting is not punishment. It is so that you have the weight and the gravitas about your walk with God to reconcile people who are wretched sinners, people who are malicious, people who are deceitful, people who have done us wrong, people who have lied and maligned us. But God somehow in the process keeps sowing justice, uh, not through me getting my way, but through me getting his way in my life. And as I come to the place where I see the glory of God being fulfilled in in ministry and in life, and and you finally realize, oh, wow, this is coming together for me. You realize, whew. I don't even recognize the guy that got the dream. And when the dream comes to pass, I'm I'm walking in the Holy Ghost right now. Your dream has come to pass in this building, but you all are all different now. You dreamed of seeing things happen and the glory of God making ways. You dreamed of seeing things come together. But notice now that it's come to pass, you're still praying, aren't you? you're still standing in a pulpit weeping. Why? Because the dreamer isn't the same. And when God blesses us, it doesn't go to our head. That's, that's the baffling thing to me is God is so good and so kind. And when he blesses people, they can get so proud and so arrogant and pretty soon they throw it all the way. But Joseph now, he's so broken. He's so humble. He's so full of weight that he turns and he weeps. He hides his face. He never heard them ever talk about what happened. For 22 years, he's wondered, does anybody even know how badly they hurt me? Does anybody even know what that meant when they said, oh, you he's just a lightweight or he is never going to mount anything? People can be cruel, folks. Things that get, let me just say this things that get said in Pentecost can be cruel. But guess what? 22 years later, we're not some awful situation. You know why? Because the Lord's been growing us Sunday after Sunday. Wednesday night Bible class after Wednesday night Bible class, youth service after youth service, prayer meeting after prayer meeting, prayer revival after prayer revival, fasting after fasting, preaching after preaching, revival after revival, evangelist after evangelist, visiting preacher after visiting preacher. And all of a sudden you look around and you say, I recognize this. I recognize the dream. I just don't recognize the dreamer anymore. God, you've taught me so many things. You've brought me so far. You've, You've ironed out so many things in our spirits, our attitudes. He looks at them. What did it feel like for him to hear them? Time had not erased the details of their pain. Time has not erased the guilt. Time has not erased. Joseph never weeps. You can't find one scripture in the Bible that said he cried over what they did to him or what they said or what Potiphar's wife did. But when he heard his brethren say, we're guilty, that's when he began to weep. You know why? Because he was closer than he ever been to reconciliation. You know what revival is? It's bringing back to life dead things. Go look it up. You know what revival is? It's when stuff you thought was dead starts getting up again. You, it's when backsliders and prodigals start coming home. Uh, it's where cold and lukewarm start praying uh, hot in the Holy Ghost. Uh, it's where the waves of the glory of God begin to sweep through a building. And you're standing here going, my God, what is this? It's the dream. Yeah but I didn't know it would look like this. I didn't know it would feel like this. I didn't know we'd have to go through change, and, and, and I didn't know we'd have to let go of some things and grab a hold of some other things, and we'd have to hold on to some things. And we No, you didn't know because you didn't realize. You thought it was about the dream. It's never about the dream. It's about the dream giver and the dreamer. Because if the God that gave you the dream can make you into the kind of dreamer he wants you to be. And that's why no matter what you get, no matter it, it, sister, listen to me, your life don't make any sense just looking at it in six-month increments. But, oh, give him a lifetime. Give him years and years and years and decades and decades of him. All of a sudden you realize, oh, I did, I did get the dream. You remember being a young preacher? Praying about what we wanted. God, I want this kind of church, God. I'd love God. How come I can't, God? And then all of a sudden, things start clicking. Things start coming together. Things start happening. And there's no pride and arrogance about it. It's, oh, God, don't let this go to my head. Don't let this get in my spirit. Don't let this become something that's destructive to me. Why? Because I want to be the dreamer that you want me to be that can reconcile my brother. Joseph has insisted on them. If you do not bring my brother, bring your youngest brother unto me, then I shall know that you are no spies. Isn't it interesting? And Jacob, poor old Jacob, he's a broken up old man right here. What? You came back home without who? Sorry, Pop. He said we were spies. Sorry, sorry. We we wanted to do right, but we watched him bind up Simeon. You know, here's the principle. Look at these, watch these guys. Every time they get away from the father, they lose a brother. I'm telling you, that's what happened. They got out on the field and and Jacob goes out there and he's gonna go give them lunch. Lost him. Simeon, where's Simeon? Well, we got him away from dad and we lost him. Brother, I'm gonna tell you something. The further you get out of the text, the more people you lose. The further you get out of the Bible, the more backsliders there are. The further you get out, don't don't gripe at your preacher for being a Bible man. Uh, It gets weird when you get away from the Father. Don't buck up in this place and say, We want something different. You better thank God. Keep me close. Keep me close to the book. Keep me close to the text. Keep me close to the word of God. Keep me in the altar. You know why, brother? Because every time they get out of the Bible, they start losing people. Don't run after one of them churches that want to be emergent and relevant. The most relevant thing you can be is a Bible church. Because I don't want to lose my brothers. And if I get away from this, I lose people. You know why? Because people ain't buying into all your leadership and all the personality cult they want. Sirs, we would see Jesus. Does anybody know where Jesus is? So you got away from the father, you lost your brother Joseph. You got away from your father, and you've lost Simeon. He said, Yep, Dad, listen, here's the deal. We're in a mess. When we got home, we were coming home. We found the thing that the we found the deal in the. All our money's in the bags. We're in trouble. All right. Take Benjamin. And he takes Benjamin up there. And all the while, Joseph. He's not interested in yanking off his crown and saying, "Ha." He thought was dead. Now I'm going to get you. No, no, no. He's bringing his family back. It's all a plan to get revival to happen in chapter 42. He's weaving and stitching. He's wooing and pleading. He's doing this elaborate scheme to get his brothers home to him. I'm going to tell you what all this is. It is one wild, elaborate scheme to get our brothers home. Joseph said, they don't recognize me. So they bring Benjamin back. And he elaborately creates this scheme. Here's the problem with this. The old man, he is some kind of broke up. These guys are talking, so what is this that God had done unto us? Verse 28, isn't it interesting that the first place you hear these evil brothers say God is when things turn bad on them. They could let their brothers sit in a a pit while they ate and filled their fat bellies. That's what the Bible said. They ate while he cried out of that pit, help me. How do you enjoy food when your brother's crying? Come on, let me out. These cruel men were able to sit down and eat. And one of them, which, which, can you imagine what that felt like to Joseph, who just felt like nobody cared, nobody. It didn't even matter what anybody thought. It didn't matter where anybody was. And Joseph hears for the first time his brother say, I told you guys, leave the child alone. But here's the miracle is Joseph brings them all back, and the old man says, and Joseph is not. The closest he was to ever seeing his son live is when he made his most definitive statement of his death. I want to tell you, here's where I got to tonight in the Holy Ghost. Stand with me, I'm finished. I want to tell you something in the Holy Ghost right now. Let's pray. Let's pray right now. Jesus, give us ears to hear right now what the Spirit is saying. I've preached tonight, God. I've, I've walked through this chapter, but give us ears right now to hear. Give us a spirit that receives the engrafted word. God, let us hear what you want us to hear. God, I stand here with fear and trepidation of you. I'll tell you something in the Holy Ghost right now. Two things. Through the years, those who have mocked this place and discounted you, They are going to see you blessed. And they are going to see the dream. My dear old friend, everybody who ever dismissed you, they're going to walk in and say, My, what a dream! But it's the dreamers that he's making, right? And everybody who got it sooner and discounted away said, that, that is never going to mount to anything. They're going to see the dream come to pass. But when they do, the dreamers are going to be men and women of God. And they're going to lead them back. They're going to lead them in humility. Meekness. And I'm telling you right now, when this place is packed to the walls and there's standing room only in this building right now, and, and I see it in the Holy Ghost, it's going to be the same old power of prayer because it's the dreamers he's working on people who are saying make me into who you want me to be and when you've asked yourself why so long God why do I have to wait and will I ever be recognized the Holy Ghost recognizes you right now and tells you be not weary in well doing for in due season they shall reap if they faint not I'm going to make them bow and I'm going to make the demons that have... How many of you know that you fought so hard to get to where you're at right here, right now? I'll tell you, I don't, I'm gonna shut. If I'm blessed, then why is it such a fight to see revival happen? Why is it such a process? Why is it such a grinding place? Because I'm making the dreamers into the men that I want them to be. There is nobody in the bible who is more like jesus than this dreamer that nobody could recognize him why because he got locked up in the eternal plan of god You're not lost. You're not floundering around down here in Dothan. You know where you are? You're locked up right now in the sovereignty of the Holy Ghost. And God's saying, I'm going to bless you. Come on, I want you to lift your hands of me right now and say, God, keep working on the dreamers. God, I want you to fill this place with your glory right now. Let your spirit saturate this house. Let the anointing of the Holy, I surrender myself to you. God, let our dreams come to pass. But don't let us be the same smart aleck youths we were. Gone is the young men that ran in and said, you're all going to bow to me. Now, he's the ministry of Reconciliation. I want to bless you. Give me the dream and let me work on the dreamers. Is there any dreamers in this place tonight? Is there anybody that has a vision from God? Is there any young preacher in this room that has a call of God on your life? Come on, find a place to get in this altar with me. Work on the dreamers. Don't let me get lifted up. Jesus, Lord, I (inaudible) seek to find strength. While I'm waiting.